Well, Lord, it's true. We worship you. We praise you this morning. And I ask now, Lord, as we come to your word, by your Holy Spirit, you'd help us to grasp in a fresh way just how great you truly are, mighty God, and that we would respond in worship to you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Just want to add my welcome to you as well. So great to have you sharing with us, those joining us online. Great to have you linking in as well, wherever you're watching from. Uh, Well, it's a joy to be um, starting this new series today, um, looking at the book of Genesis called In the Beginning. And as Andrew mentioned, a great opportunity just to jump into a connect group over these four weeks. Our heart as a church is to make sure everyone feels welcome, linked in, growing in their relationship with God as well. So not too late to join in. Uh, On Christmas Eve 1968, man first orbited the moon, and the mission uh, was Apollo 8. For those of you who might be familiar with it, on the mission were three astronauts, Bill Anders, Jim Lovell, and Frank Borman. And their mission was um, to take photos of the moon's surface, so the first humans to ever travel to the moon. And the reason for taking these photos was to plan for a future moon landing, which we know, of course, did take place. But as The three astronauts came around the dark side of the moon, as they call it. Um, They were distracted from their mission because they actually caught this incredible glimpse that took their breath away. It was a a view of Earth as no one had ever seen it before. And Will Anders, one of the astronauts, actually scrambled in the moment, totally distracted from their mission of taking photos of the Earth, scrambled to grab some colour film and quickly put it in the camera so they could snapshot one of the most famous um, photos ever taken called Earthrise. I think we've got a, uh, this will come up on the screen, in fact. And um, this was the photo that really grabbed everyone's attention. Actually, Will Anders said this. He said, we set out to explore the moon and instead we discovered the Earth, is what he said. Um, and, but what was even more significant was this, was what the astronauts said as they orbited the moon. They knew that it would be broadcast by NASA back to Earth. In fact, um, there was something like one in four people on earth were tuned in, over a billion people, 64 countries were tuned in to listen to this broadcast from space as they came around. And knowing this, the astronauts were trying to think, what do you say in this incredible moment of history? And so Borman, one of the um, astronauts, tried to draft some words together that would be appropriate, but everything he tried, just he felt like that just is not going to cut it for such a historic moment. And eventually, one of the NASA workers' wives suggested to them, why don't you go to the Bible for some words for this moment? And so, the text of Genesis 1 was chosen and printed on fireproof paper and entered in as part of the mission flight plan. And on that particular moment, as they orbited the moon, came around the dark side of the moon, it was telecast back. The three astronauts, they took turns in reading the first 10 verses of Genesis 1, Roughly a billion people tuned in to listen to these words. And it was a very, very powerful moment. And so for our reading this morning, we're going to go to the astronauts of Apollo 8. They're going to read for us Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Let's check this out together on the screen. We are now approaching uh, lunar sunrise. And uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the Earth. And the Earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament. And divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you. All of you on the good earth. How good is that? Don't you think that's pretty good? They chose well, I think. Genesis 1. Well, this is God's word to us this morning. And as we launch into this series, I want to give you a brief overview of the book of Genesis. It's divided into two main sections, chapters 1 to 11, and then chapters 12 to 50. And 1 to 11 deals with God's um, story of God and the whole world, And then from chapter um, 12 on, it zooms in and tells the story of of God and one particular man, Abram, and then his family. And these two sections, 1 to 11 and 12 to 50, they are linked together with one hinge story or hinge encounter um, in the beginning of chapter 12. And that is where God calls a man called Abraham and he tells him to leave the country in which he's living, to go to Canaan, and he says, I'm going to bless you and your family, and I have this, I'm going to bless you for a very specific purpose. And God says, I'm going to bless you so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And this hinge story is key to understanding the message of the book as a whole, and in fact, introduces the story of the whole Bible. And over the coming weeks, we're going to explore that some, fur- some, some more and unpack that further. But right here at the start, we are introduced to the main character of the whole Bible, and that is God. In the beginning, God. Derek Kidner says it's no accident that God is the subject of the first sentence of the Bible, and that his name here, Elohim, demonstrates the, the whole, do, sorry, dominates the whole chapter, occurring some 35 times in all, so that it catches the reader's eye again and again. And Kidna's point is that this section, indeed the entire book of Genesis, is about God from first to last. And to read it any other way is to misread it, is what he says. Here is one theologian's sentence summary of the doctrine of creation. He puts it like this, God created the entire universe out of nothing. It was originally very good and he created it to glorify himself. I want to do a three-minute Um, little summary of the doctrine of creation, okay? So stick with me here. Here are four aspects. The first is this, God created the universe out of nothing. 
The Latin term ex nihilo is often used meaning out of nothing. The implications of Genesis 1 verse 1 is that before God began to create the universe, nothing else existed except God himself. In the beginning, God was existing from eternity to eternity. And here, the context means the beginning of time itself, not sometime within eternity. God is outside of time. He created time. That's the first one. God created the universe out of nothing. The second one is this. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved in creation. Remarkably, the mystery of the Holy Trinity is embedded in the first three Hebrew words of this text here. Because the name used for God, Elohim, is in the plural, and the verb created is in the singular. So it literally says God, plural, created, singular. Right? All three persons of the Godhead active in creation. We see this as we keep reading. Genesis 1 verse 2 talks about God and the Spirit being active together in creation when we read the Spirit was hovering over the deep. And then we know that God and the Son were active together in creation when we read John 1 where it says in the beginning was the word talking about Jesus the logos the word was with God he was with God in the beginning and through him through Jesus all things were made right and so here it is that we meet the awesome triune God in literally the first three Hebrew words of biblical revelations. Pretty amazing when you grasp that. Here's the third point. Are you still with me on our quick tour of doctrine of creation? The third one is this, is that creation is distinct from God, yet always dependent on Him. The teaching of Scripture about the relationship between God and creation is unique from every other religion. The Bible teaches that God is distinct from creation. That is, He is transcendent. He is not part of it for he made it and rules over it and is so much greater than creation Um, uh, this is different to pantheism which teaches creation is God you might hear that sometimes but God is so much greater than creation but not only is God transcendent he is also very much involved in creation It is um, continually, creation is continually dependent on him for its existence and its functioning. And the term we use to talk about God's involvement in creation is his imminence, that he is imminent in creation, meaning remaining in creation. So the God of the Bible is not an abstract deity removed or uninterested from his creation, but rather the Bible story is a story of God's involvement with his creation, particularly with the people in it. And so God is transcendent, but he is also imminent. And here's the last one for our little summary of the doctrine of creation. God created the universe to reveal his glory. Psalm 19 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Creation shows us God's great power and wisdom far above anything that could be imagined by any creature. And uh, this, this is a key part of God's creation to reveal his glory. Well done. We've just covered off there in a couple of minutes, just a very brief intro there. But here at the beginning of Genesis, we see that we did not come into existence by chance. 
that our world is not here by some random act, um, by some accident, but there is a creator and there is a designer behind it all. But many people have this idea that science and faith um, cannot exist together, that, that science is at odds with faith. It was the German philosopher Nietzsche who famously declared God is dead is what he proclaimed back at the end of the 19th century and he said this to express his idea that the enlightenment had eliminated the possibility of the existence of God his thinking was that um, as our scientific knowledge grows and there is more and more evidence to disprove the existence of God but actually since Nietzsche pronounced that declaration just the reverse of that has happened Half a century ago, there was only thought to be two conditions needed for a planet to support life. But the more scientists have studied and measured the universe, the number of variables necessary for life on a planet, on this planet, on any planet, has completely exploded. As of today, we know of so many conditions that are absolutely necessary for a planet to support life that not only is it extremely improbable that any other planets can support life, it is extremely improbable that our planet should support life. It is literally a miracle that we are even existing on this planet. To speak statistically and logically, life of any kind should not exist and we shouldn't be here. That's what the scientists have found today. According to science, our existence is a statistical and scientific virtual impossibility. You can look that up for yourself. I want to give you a few examples of the parameters scientists have determined to be crucial for life. And each one of these conditions is crucial. If any one of these one amazing conditions is not met, then life of any kind cannot exist. Just keep that in your mind. But since each of these variables line up perfectly as they must, some physicists have come to use the expression fine-tuned universe. And you hear this more and more these days as scientists are talking. This is because when one's ideology, no matter what someone's ideology on the subject might be, it has this overwhelming appearance, as scientists study it, of having been fine-tuned by a creator to support life. Right? And so this is the terminology they use to get their head around it. Let me give you just a couple of variables. One variable that scientists have discovered is to do with the size of our planet. The size of planet Earth, or its mass, in scientific terms, determines how much gravity it has. Scientists have discovered that if our planet was just a tiny bit bigger or a tiny bit smaller, life would not be able to exist here. Um, if the Earth was slightly bigger, it would have more gravity, and that, if that was the case, then methane and ammonia gas, which has molecular weights of 16 and 17 respectively, would remain closer to the Earth's surface. And since we cannot breathe methane or ammonia, which are toxic, we would die if this was the case. And more to the point, we would never have come into existence in the first place if this was the case. On the other hand, if Earth were just a tiny bit smaller and had a little bit less gravity than water vapour, which has a molecular weight of 18, would not stay down here close to the Earth's surface, but instead would just dissipate in the atmosphere. And obviously without water, we there's no way that we could survive here on Earth. We could not exist. So scientists have found that the Earth must be exactly the size it is or else we would not be able to exist. 
Here's another one. The unique properties of water, another key in this. If, if you um, did science at school, if you're awake, maybe I should say, in science at school, you would have learned that gas is less dense than a liquid, which is less dense than a solid, as it's changing states. As something moves from one state to the next, the molecules get closer together, it gets denser, and therefore it gets heavier. But if this is true, why does ice float? Have you ever thought about this? Probably never, but I'm going to tell you about it. As a solid, it should be denser than a liquid, and it should sink. Well, the amazing thing is this, water does not become more dense, sorry, does become more dense as it cools until it reaches four degrees Celsius, at which point it becomes, it starts to become less dense. So by the time it's actually a solid, it's lighter than its liquid state and it floats. Now, if water, you're thinking, big deal, what's that got to do with anything? Well, if water did not have this bizarre quirk, Lakes would freeze from the bottom up. You never thought about that, did you? Lakes would freeze from the bottom up, killing all of the uh, fish and the freshwater life and would have a deadly effect on all types of light forms. And the reason that water does this is because each water molecule possesses two hydrogen atoms, H2O, that are connected to the oxygen atom in a V-shape, right? You were saying, why do I need to know this? Well, this V-shape is actually an obtuse angle of 104.5 degrees. And because it is this angle, this obtuse angle, water solidifies into hexagonal structures that take up a lot of space and are therefore lighter than liquid. And so the ice floats to the top and lakes don't freeze over from the bottom up and life is able to exist. That's pretty amazing, don't you think? I think that's incredible, our creator God. But there is more. You thought that was good. Water's high boiling point is also critical. Because of its ability, because it, it, it boils at a higher temperature than many other liquids, its, its ability to dissolve a large number of chemical substances. Water also retains heat exceptionally well, allowing bodies of water on earth to help stabilise and moderate temperatures. Once again, if we did not have all of these variables exactly in place lining up, then life would be impossible. The moon is another one. They've discovered that the size of the moon and its exact distance from the earth is key because of the gravitational pull of the moon's surface and its distance from the moon puts the earth exactly on the right tilt on its axis so that we get the seasons as we do. And again, if there was any change to that, then life would not be able to exist. There are literally hundreds, hundreds of these variables that scientists have found, all pointing to the fact that we live in a fine-tuned universe that there is a creator behind it all, not by chance. And as scientific knowledge increases, we have more evidence, not less, pointing to the evidence that there has to be a creator behind it all. Albert Einstein, one of the greatest scientists of our time, said this, and as far as we know, he didn't have a personal relationship with God, but even he Acknowledge this, this fact. He said, everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that a spirit is manifest in the law of the universe. A spirit vastly superior to that of man and one in the face of which we with our modest powers must feel humble. Einstein was encountering the glory of a creator God in the universe. And for many other scientists, they have encountered this same truth and it has brought them to the conclusion that this world did not come, this universe did not come into existence randomly or by chance, 
but by a creator, a designer. If you were flying over a um, deserted island and you saw written in the sand giant letters H-E-L-P, you would not look at that and think, oh, well, the waves and the storm must just be, you know, just have happened randomly. You wouldn't think that, would you? What would you think? You'd think someone is down there who put that in the sand and needs rescuing. Right? It's something within us that just recognises, hang on, there's more. That, that's not random. We know this deep within our being, that there is an intelligence behind it. Just over 10 years ago now, probably the most prominent atheist of the 20th century, Anthony Flew, concluded that God must have designed the universe. It made international news at the time when he did this about face. Flew came to believe um, through the genetic code in DNA, and I think Professor Tom Woodward's going to talk about this a little bit on Tuesday night. I encourage you to come out to that or bring a friend along. But he looked at the genetic code in DNA and he said this simply could not be accounted for naturalistically. Like he said, this is just impossible. It didn't make logical sense to him that it happened merely by chance via random mutations. He just couldn't, couldn't come to believe that. And what is most remarkable is that Flu had the humility and the intellectual honesty to do a public about face on all he had stood for and taught for five decades. That takes a lot of humility to do that. But to his credit, he did. And Flu joins many other scientists around the world who have a, a faith and a trust in God as well. So the evidence points to the fact that we are not here by chance, it's not an accident, but there is a creator. And this is good news because it means we have meaning, we have purpose, it means we can find answers to the deep questions of life. We all find ourselves asking at one stage or another the questions of who am I? Why do I exist? What am I here for? Is there more to life than this? And if you've been wrestling with these questions, join us for this series as we're going to explore and unpack this further in the coming weeks. But at the beginning of Genesis, um, we see where we find the answers to these questions or where the beginning of these answers are. And that is that all of these questions, the answer to all of these questions begin with God. That's what we discover right at the start. And here is the key point of these first verses of Genesis. Um, are you ready for this? Brace yourself because you may not like it. Uh, it's not the message that we hear around us every day, but here it is, the key point of verses the first verses of Genesis, and it's this, it's that it's not about you. Sorry to burst your bubble this morning, but it's not about you. Everything begins with God and fulfills His purpose for His glory. This is what Genesis 1 tells us. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. Your peace of mind or even your happiness is greater than your family your career, even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. You were made by Him and for Him. The Bible tells us this. And it's only in God that we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, his plan for our future, every other path, I can tell you now, every other path leads to a dead end. This week, um, the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope have been released. It's been a massive week, in fact, for space exploration, for astronomy. 
It was launched on Christmas Day um, last year. The $13 billion space telescope, there's a picture of it there, um, is the biggest, the most powerful telescope ever put into space. Its primary mirror is over six and a half metres um, wide and it is made up of 18 gold-plated mirrors. They're not just yellow, that's gold-plated, those mirrors that you can see there. Um, and it uses infrared cameras and sensors to peer into parts of the universe with a detail that no other telescope has been able to do before. Previous to this, Hubble gave us the best images we have. But this week has been huge because it's been sending back its first images. And they are the most detailed snapshots of our cosmos that we have ever had. Here's a couple of the pictures. This first one is called the Cosmic Cliffs. Um, it's from the Carina Nebula. It's just a mere seven and a half thousand light years away from Earth, not too far away. But isn't that an incredible image of our universe? Here's another one. This is the Southern Ring Nebula, this image here. Um, and interesting, I was reading about this. NASA's Deputy Administrator, Pam Melroy, said this week, looking at these images, she said, what I've already seen has moved me as a scientist, as an engineer, and as a human. She is literally encountering, there's something within her, encountering the glory of God in creation that moves us deep within. Here's one more. This image is of a giant cluster of galaxies in the constellation of Volans. Um, and in this image alone, there are 10,000 galaxies, okay? Just in that, that little snapshot there, you're thinking, big deal. Well, we live in the Milky Way galaxy. Our galaxy is 100,000 light years wide, right? Huge, absolutely massive. Look up at the star at night and you see the Milky Way galaxy. Well, in that image is 10,000 galaxies just like that. One galaxy alone contains one billion stars, all right? Just in one galaxy. You're getting a picture of how big this is. Well, here's the really, really crazy thought in all this. That image is actually only one twenty-four millionth of the entire sky. This is what NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said this week about this image, 10,000 galaxies. He said, if you held a grain of sand on the tip of your finger at arm's length, that is the part of the universe you're looking at in that photo. A grain of sand at arm's length. That's all we're getting, and that alone is 10 thousand galaxies can you even begin to fathom how huge enormous the universe is we can't can we in our minds God spoke a word and it was can you can you comprehend that it's a, it's phenomenal we love to sing that song how great is our God don't we? we love to sing that but we don't really understand do we when we sing that how great he is we're not even getting close until we begin to look at the vastness thank you James Webb telescope for helping us to grasp how great our God is. Maybe today you have come and you are facing a situation that, that just seems insurmountable. Maybe you're tuning in online today and you're facing a situation, a circumstance in your life and you're thinking, this is just impossible. I've come to the end of myself. You've tried all you can to fix this situation. Nothing is working. You're overcome with fear and worry when you look at this the circumstances you're in the midst of, well, God wants to remind you this morning, I believe this is all my heart, He wants to remind you this morning of how great, how mighty, how powerful He is, that He is sovereign, that He is in control of everything. That you don't need to fear because He holds us literally in the palm of His hand. Listen to these words. So I want to give this verse to you this morning. If that's where you're at this morning, Jeremiah 32 verse 17 has blessed me incredibly 
in my journey. It says this, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth tens of thousands, millions, millions of galaxies by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I want you to hear that this morning. Whatever situation or circumstance you are facing, whatever is, is causing you great fear and anxiety, bring it to your heavenly Father this morning. Nothing is too hard this morning. And he wants to remind you of his great power. Of course, sometimes when we look at the wonder of creation, the vastness of the cosmos, it can make us feel pretty insignificant. It can make us feel um, exceptionally small, pretty tiny. We can sort of feel like, well, what's, what's the deal with my tiny little life then? I'm, I'm nothing is how we can sometimes feel. In fact, this is how King David put it. Psalm 8, he said these words, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? David is saying, when I look at the, the vast of the universe, he had no idea what we know today, but he said, when I look at it, he said, God, who am I? Who am I that you would even think of me, that you would even care about me? And sometimes we have that same feeling when we understand the vastness of creation. On February 14th, 1990, this famed scientist Carl Sagan gave us an incredible perspective of our home planet that had never been seen before. As NASA's Voyager 1 spacecraft was about to leave our solar system in 1989, Sagan, who was a member of the mission's imaging team, he pleaded with the officials to turn the camera around because the the mission was about to end. It was Voyager's about to enter out of our solar system. He said, would you turn it around just so we can grab one snapshot of Earth before this mission ends? He'd actually been asking for this the whole mission, but they wouldn't let him because they were worried by turning the camera back around that the sun's rays would damage the camera. But because it was coming to an end and this was it, they finally agreed. And the resulting image was this one here. It's a pretty unimpressive image, actually, when you see it. It's been called the pale blue dot. And those rays are actually sunbeams which are reflecting off Voyager. And in one of those sunbeams is a tiny little pale blue dot, and that is Earth. Not the most impressive image at all. There have been lots of amazing photos captured by this stage of Earth. But this little speck, less than 0.12 pixels in size, became known as the pale blue dot. And this image... Rather than the beauty of earth, it gave us a one-of-a-kind picture to show us the immeasurable vastness of space and our undeniably small place in it. You see how tiny earth is really in the vastness of earth? Sagan later wrote these words. He said, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives on a mote of dust suspended in a beam of sunlight. You see, the reality is our lives are a tiny blip on the radar of history. Our lives are just a vapour, a mist that appears for a little while and, and then vanishes is how the Bible puts it. We're incredibly insignificant, really, in the big perspective of things. But here is the good news. The same God who created the heavens and the earth, who spoke and galaxies were, he loved the world so much and loved you so much that he would send his very own son. He was there in the beginning, part of creation. He would send his son to that tiny pale 
blue dot to give His life for you and for me. This, this is truly amazing. Listen to how 1 John 4 puts it. It says, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God. Not that we loved Him in some way, but that He loved us. Why would God, the creator of the universe, why would He care that much about us? But He loved us, and not only that, He sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Do you see how amazing God's love is towards us? Who who is man? Who are we that God would be mindful of us, that He would care about us? But this is who our Heavenly Father is. This is how great His love is for us. And you begin to see here, as we look at Genesis chapter 1, we begin to discover how great God is, but also how great His love is for us and how much you mean to your Heavenly Father this morning. He cares deeply about you. He knows all the details of your life. He knows the circumstances. He knows everything you're going through right now. And He wants you to know this morning that He loves you deeply. This same Jesus who was there at the very beginning, this all-powerful Creator, the one who is there, part of it all, the maker of this whole vast universe we've been catching a glimpse of this morning. He came to that pale blue dot to hang on a cross of all things that He Himself created. Wrap your mind around that for a moment. Listen to how the Bible puts it. These are familiar words for many of us, but I want you to hear them this morning in the, in the context of Genesis 1. This is what Philippians 2 says. Though He was God, talking about Jesus, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, He gave up His divine privileges and He took the humble position of a slave. This is the creator of the whole universe we're talking about here took the position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. How incredible is that? How great is God's love for us? How great is our God? Perhaps today you've come feeling empty, dissatisfied with life. Maybe you've been asking the big questions. Is there more to life than this? God, why am I here? What is life all about? Is there any hope for the future for me? Maybe you've been asking those questions. Maybe you've tuned in this morning. I want to tell you the fact that you're here this morning is not an accident. It's not a random event. It's because God loves you. It's because He cares about you. And you are hearing these words. It's it's not me speaking to you, but it's God wanting to speak to you through His Word. He wants you to know this morning how much He loves you, that He is the one who created you, who knit you together, that He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you might have come this morning or tuned in online, you're thinking, can anyone take the broken pieces and the mess of my life and do something with this? I'm too far gone. Well, I want you to hear God's Word this morning, that He, the Creator, can take all the broken pieces of our world and of our lives and He can put them all back together again. Listen to how Colossians 1 puts this in the message. Listen to these words. This is the message paraphrase. We look at His Son, the Son, 
and we see the God we cannot see. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in Him, in Jesus, and finds its purpose in Him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment right now. From beginning to end, He's there towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is He, so expansive that everything of God finds its proper place in Him without crowding. Listen to these words. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of His death, His blood that poured down from the cross. This is good news. And maybe you came this morning and you were thinking to yourself, well, you know, where is meaning and purpose in this life? What is my life about? Is there hope for the future? Well, God brought you here this morning tuned you in this morning so that you could hear this message that there is hope for your future. That if you will come to Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator of it all, if you will come to Him in repentance and faith, He will take all the pieces of your life, the broken pieces, He can put them all back together and in Him you can receive forgiveness, you can receive healing, you can discover purpose and peace and joy and life in Him. And it begins, that journey begins by coming to Him and saying, God, I acknowledge that You are the Creator of everything, that my life belongs to You. You come to Him in repentance and faith saying, God, I'm sorry for living life my own way. Instead, I come to You, I surrender my life to You and I place my faith and trust in You and what You have done for me on the cross. That is where it begins. And in that moment, we discover what we were truly created for. And you can know that this morning. In a moment, I'm going to pray as we conclude our time together but I don't want this moment to pass without giving an opportunity just to to respond this morning maybe for the first time or maybe you're here or you're tuning in and you realize you've drifted far from God but this morning God's calling you back as your heavenly father saying come to me come to me you're looking in all the wrong places they're all dead ends come to me this morning and so I want to lead us in a prayer and a time just to respond to him now will you bow with me in prayer heavenly father we thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through creation, through your word, great God, through your spirit. And just now, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open hearts, lives to you, Lord. We're in awe this morning of just how great you are. As we're bowed in prayer over here this morning or online and you realize in your heart, yes, you need to come to Jesus you need to place your faith and trust in Him either for the first time or that today is a moment of coming back to Him if you've been away. Or just now, it's a simple prayer I'm going to pray and I just encourage you to make this prayer your own prayer in your heart and your mind. It's not the prayer that's significant, but it's marking this moment now as a moment where you say, God, this is, this is a moment I want to mark before you. I want to surrender to you. I want to, I'm tired, I'm exhausted maybe of doing things yourself. Well, this is a moment just to come to Him and say, here's my life, Lord, take it. Use it for your purposes. Lead me. That's you this morning. 
I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. You make this your own, your heart and your mind now. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for going to that cross to die for me. And now I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for going my own way. I surrender my life to you. I place my faith and trust in you and in you alone. And I ask you to come and to fill me with your Holy Spirit now, to lead me, to guide me, take my life. Take my life, use it for your glory, I pray. Lord, I want to pray for some who have prayed this prayer just now. That right in these moments, Lord, you fill them with your spirit, Lord, and you would fill them with the joy of the knowledge, Lord, that they belong to you, that they are a child of God, that there is forgiveness and healing and wholeness found in you because of the cross, because of your blood shed for us. Thank you for your resurrection power, which you've made known, Lord. And for each of us here this morning, for any here, Lord, who are facing insurmountable circumstances, overcome with fear, Lord, we too surrender to you afresh this morning and say, Lord, we trust you. Forgive us when we've tried to work things out on our own. Instead, Lord, we bring that before you again this morning. We look to you, great God. We trust you. Thank you we can rest in you this morning. Thank you that you are sovereign, that you're working out your plans. Thank you there's nothing beyond your power this morning. May you give us a deep peace in our hearts. And Lord, our response now is just to worship you this morning, to praise your name with all the creation and all the heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song in a moment. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I I really want to encourage you to do the Alpha course starting next Sunday afternoon, 4.30. Come along, be a part of that. Come and grab a Bible gift pack at the end. We'd love to give it to you as a a free gift. If you came with someone, tell them, hey, I need to know more. I want to know more. I want to get a gift pack this morning. We want to encourage you on your journey. It's the most important decision. If you're online, just connect through to Michael there, your host, or email through to prayer at bridgeman.org.au or hello at bridgeman.org.au. We'd love to encourage you on your journey. But I I had a different song plan, and then I woke up this morning. I said, there's a song we have to do today in response to God's Word. And that is the song, How Great Is Our God?, The band kindly changed it for me at the last minute. We've had a practice run at the eight. So let's stand together. We cannot hold back as we sing of the greatness of our God. Amen. We can't hold back this morning. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's great. Father, Spirit, Son, let's worship Him this morning. Let's do that together, church.
faith-filled people. How great and how great is Great God, we worship You, we praise You in all Your might and Your splendour and Your greatness and Your holiness, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for Your great love for this world. And Lord, our prayers, those words, we just sang there that all would see, Lord, how great You are. Fill us, use us. Lord, we pray as Your people to share this message, this good news message with our world, we pray. And so, Lord, bless each one. I do ask this morning, we ask this in Your name. And everyone said... Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like to pray with someone, our prayer team will be down the front, our prayer lounge at the back as well. Don't forget our connections lounge. RI info session, don't forget, over there as well. And if you'd like to share with someone, a Bible gift pack, we'd love to give that to you as well. God bless.